0: Thank you for the the wonderful, warm welcome. This is such a great church. I'm so honored to be here. Moving in, I have figured out I have a lot of stuff. I didn't even move my house, just moving my office. I have a lot of stuff. Um, And I'm a visual learner, so I I like stuff when I preach and teach. So I'm not going to unpack it all, but I do have this really cool thing I want to show you. So... Awesome. Let's see if it works as it's supposed to. Don, I should have arranged a drum roll. (laughs) Woo! You would not believe how useful it is for a preacher to have fake fire. Tom, you can borrow it anytime you want. I mean... The burning bush story, the story of Pentecost—so many times, my fake fire has been a very useful teaching tool. My favorite time that I used it, though, um, was for a recruiting thing for Cub Scouts. My son is an Eagle Scout, Wyatt. You knew I had to embarrass you. I'm proud of you. But we did a lot of um, we did a lot of scout stuff, and I set up a little display one time with some sticks and everything. And we're sitting talking to parents, and I look over, and the kids have all circled around my fake fire. And in their minds, it's real. And they're pretending to roast marshmallows, and they're doing the thing all little boys love to do, trying to burn stuff. And it was a great recruiting tool, because I could say, I mean, don't you think your kids deserve a real campfire? You know, sign them up for Boy Scouts. So we are using the Chosen miniseries as a preaching theme this summer, And the episode that I'm using today, episode three in season two, the whole thing takes place around a campfire. And so I thought about those little Boy Scouts, or potential Boy Scouts, circled around something false. And so much like that in this episode, we see the disciples who are so much like us, circling around something and not realizing that they've lost sight of Jesus. So it's a good lesson to talk about today. So let us center ourselves and pray. Oh, Lord, we give you thanks that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Open our hearts and minds to hear your word today and to think about the ways that we need to be brought back to center. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to leave that going if the hum isn't too distracting because it's just so cool and I don't know when I'm going to get to use it again. Our scripture for today is Matthew four twenty four to 26. News about Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is the word of the Lord. And when we encounter the word of the Lord like this, if you're reading your Bible and reading all of Matthew, as I know this church has been doing some intentional discipleship, reading scripture, um, when you read it, you might just pass over that. Okay, Jesus healed. What's next? But I love the way in The Chosen they really think about, what does this look like for Jesus to heal? And in doing so, it it really opened up, I never thought about what did it actually look like for Jesus to, to do this. And so here's the opening scene from that episode. It made me think about so many things. Did they build a little booth for Jesus, the healing booth? Did people line up like that expectantly? And would they stay in line like that? Have you ever been in an emergency room? You know, if you think your thing is worse than somebody else's, you're not going to stay at the back of the line. It just opened up so many things for me to think about when I saw that scene. And so I want to digress just a little bit and say that maybe you aren't watching The Chosen with us. Um, And I want to invite you to to do that, because I'm going to confess, I didn't like it at first. I I started watching it a long time ago, and I I kind of found the accents distracting, and I paid attention to things I probably shouldn't have, like Jesus' backpack looked way too new, like he got it yesterday at the Gap, and that just distracted me. So maybe if you started watching it, or you haven't started watching it, I want to encourage you to give it another chance, because it's really well done. And it's so different because it's not just a movie about Jesus, but because it's a series, they can do some real character development, and it almost seems like it's more about the disciples than Jesus, and so we can see ourselves in it. So um, Thomas will be preaching next week, episode four, so you can binge Jesus, as they like to say, and catch up and, and hear what he has to say. So um, I realize, though, that, that what's going on in this series is midrash. There are some real smart people in here that are real biblically literate. See, Tom's nodding his head. Tom knows what Midrash is. I didn't know until I went to seminary. And maybe you've heard in the, in the movie that they talk about going to Bet Midrash, House of Midrash. Midrash is, is simply teaching. It's an ancient teaching method used by rabbis to look beyond the words for meaning. And often Midrash involves creating a side story to illuminate the main story. So rabbis do that a lot. They make up these other stories. And everybody knows that it's not scripture, but, but they listen and, and take it that way. And so we Christians do Midrash, too. We just don't always realize we're doing it. Um, if you have children or grandchildren, at Christmas time, there's often a story of, you know, here's Bob the donkey that was at the manger with Jesus, and here's his story. And, and we all know Bob the donkey's not really in the Bible, but we go along, right? So that's Midrash. So I want to show you my favorite Midrash. I know a few from the rabbis. There's our friend Charlton Heston as Moses. Is that Charlton Heston? I think it is. Anyway, the story of Moses parting the Red Sea. You all know that story, right? So Moses raises his staff, raises his hands, and the sea parts. And the Bible says it was like a heap on either side. It was grand and great. And he leads the people through the sea. But what happens is that by all accounts of numbering, there were a lot of people, I mean thousands for sure, and so all of these people are walking with Moses, but some of them are at the back. And there's two guys in particular that have spent the entire trip complaining. There's no good coffee, you know, it's hot. And so they're they're at the back, and they're complaining, and they're complaining, and as they start walking, they realize that the ground is muddy. It stinks from gefilte fish, you know, It's gross. And they never look up, and they never realize that they are walking through the Red Sea. They miss the entire miracle because they're complaining. Now, isn't that a good midrash? And doesn't it make you wonder how many miracles you've missed? So I think that's what this episode is about. As uh, the scene is the disciples around the campfire and what happens is that Jesus is healing, as you saw, in the daylight, and all these people are there. And as the day wears on, they build a campfire, and they're trying to help Jesus, but he's Jesus. What are they going to do? And so they're around the campfire, and they're getting to know each other, and they start disagreeing about things and bickering about things. And, and eventually, uh, well, they, they eat dinner, and Jesus is still going, so they, you know, do their thing, roast a few marshmallows or whatever. Um, but eventually, they start to argue. Because it seems like when you put people together, eventually they start to argue. And they almost are coming to blows. They stand up, and it's, it's very tense because they just they've got something going on over here. And then Jesus comes in from healing, and this is what it looks like. Good night. There's such a contrast there between the disciples and Jesus, and you really feel it. They realize how off-center they are, and maybe you've had a moment like that, where you realize that you're doing something, and Jesus is doing something completely different. When I saw that scene, it reminded me of a time when um, I was hanging out with my sisters. I love to hang out with my sisters and nieces. And what we usually do is sit around a table and eat and talk, and then eat and talk, and then eat and talk, and then eat and talk. And, you know, my husband doesn't always think that's the funnest thing, but I do. And so we're sitting around my sister's table, and my brother-in-law Bill is sitting there doing what Bill always does, watching sports on TV. Can't even imagine what he was watching during COVID, like chess or something. So he's watching sports, and at one point he gets up and he walks over to us. And you have to know that Bill is like the nicest person in the world. Everyone loves Bill. So Bill walks up to us and he says, You know, I started timing you guys, and you have been gossiping and talking trash about people for 30 minutes, and you should probably do something else now. And he went and sat down. And I felt like those disciples because he was right it was hard to hear but it was true and truth is hard to hear but we need it and thank God that we can recenter and like Paul said ask repent and turn again and say I see who you are and I see who I am and I don't want to be who I am I want to be like you The other contrast here is, you know, they're fighting for position. If we would have watched more of it, you would have seen that. And Jesus is just so meek. And Jesus is exhausted. And that's the other thing that that this this episode made me think about. Um, It never occurred to me that Jesus might have gotten tired healing. And we know that the Bible tells us that Jesus was fully human Our faith tells us that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And the Bible tells us that he wept, that he got tired, that he needed to rest. But somehow I just always kind of want to go back to to magical Jesus. Maybe you do too? I mean, I always just kind of assume that if Jesus was healing, it was kind of like Oprah giving away cars a healing for you, a healing for you, you know, maybe some glitter. I am the Lord, you are healed. But Jesus came to teach us how to be human the best humans we can be. And if you think about the way we engage in healing, especially those of you that are in the healing profession, it doesn't look like that. It's draining. If you've ever stayed up all night with a sick child, or held the hand of a dying parent, or, or been with someone who was injured and waiting for the ambulance to come, um, you get close. And you hold their hands and you comfort them and you talk to them and you get sweaty and dirty and bloody in the process and at the end of it, you're tired. And so to see Jesus tired reminds me that the work we do, the emotional work we do, the healing work we do, the loving work we do, the acts of mercy we do, exhaust us. You should have seen our staff after VBS. But it's a good tired and so Jesus is spent, and it makes me think, how do I spend myself? Am I spending myself on things that don't matter, false things, or am I spending myself on things that are good? And I have an advantage over you because in as I, an itinerant minister, I get to move around and I get a whole blank slate to stop and think, okay, I'm starting over at this church, How am I going to spend myself here? How have I spent myself badly? How can I do better? So it's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. Don, I loved your prayer. He alluded to Philippians. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus poured himself out. Jesus spent himself If you were here the last two weeks, um, you heard Tom talk about the Beatitudes. And if you weren't, go listen online. Um, We're talking about the different Beatitudes as Jesus talked about who were blessed. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the grieving, blessed are the meek. And it turns common sense upside down because we don't think of these people as blessed. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. And the way he healed in such a meek way shows us that. Um, this is what I think of when I think of Meek. I don't know how many of you know the movie Office Space. This character's named Milton, and he loves his red stapler, and people are always taking it, and instead of just going and grabbing his stapler back, my, my stapler, you know, and you just want to, like, speak up, Milton. Go get your stapler. He's just such a sad fellow, and I don't want to be that. And I wonder, does God want me to be that, to not um, speak up for myself? Does God want me to be a doormat? Blessed are the meek. Meek is lacking courage, not strong, not retaliating or seeking revenge. Meek is behaving in a humble way toward others because of how you view yourself. Now we're getting somewhere. How you view yourself. Here's another definition. Meek is strength under control. I like this one. I think that the secret to being meek and the kind of meekness that God is calling from us is a kind of meekness where the more we understand who God is and who we are, the more we fall on our needs. We don't seek revenge because we know there's a power that's going to make all things right. Right? We control our will because we know there's a greater will. And every time in scripture that people come face to face with God, that's what happens. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lifted high up. And and the hem of his robe filled the temple. And I said, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. But God lifts him up. I think you walk differently in the world when you see who God is and see who you truly are. And you realize that maybe the things that you've centered yourself around are just temporary and fake. The prophet Isaiah gives us these these. Gifts of the spirit that we are to seek. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety. And if you read it in the King James, fear of the Lord. And I remember thinking, fear of the Lord? Are we supposed to be scared of God? I like the word awe better. And I found myself praying for these things. Often I pray for wisdom and understanding and strength. I don't know that I pray for piety enough. But I pray for those other things. And the more I walk with God, the more the one I really want is awe. Those moments when you stand in awe of God. And maybe it hurts a little, like it did when Bill came up and told us that we were gossiping too much. But those moments when you see the beauty of God, the power of God, the perfect and good law and will of God, and you want to be centered on that. And that's what makes you holy. I think Mary Magdalene character uh, in this Midrash said it really well, so I'm gonna give her the last word. Here's what I also do not understand. Isn't the Messiah supposed to come at a time when all is holy? Uh, That's at least what you've been telling me. What is that from? Even a prophetic poem from the rabbis not so long ago. And there shall be no unrighteousness in them on his day. For they shall all be holy, and their king shall be the Lord Messiah. This is why the Pharisees do not think he is the one, Mary, to help clean up the red quarter first. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's waiting for us to be holy. I think he's here because we can't be holy without him. He's here because we can't be holy without him. Our song of response is, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I love the line in that hymn that says, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. In the communion liturgy, we say we present ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice. And I once heard someone say, the problem with a living sacrifice is it can wander off the altar. So may this hymn be a prayer for you, especially the line that says, Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Would you stand and let us sing?